0: welcome to the redemption church podcast we exist to become witnesses to god's new creation so that every man woman and child has a daily encounter with jesus we believe that as a family of servant missionaries we are empowered to participate in god's story because of the good news that king jesus is making all things new Good morning. Church, we're going to be in Matthew today. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 12. Uh, for those of you who I have not met, my name is Nate. I serve with Scott here as one of our pastors, and I'm super thankful to be with you guys today to be opening God's Word today. As said, Matthew, we're going to be in chapter 12 today, continuing our series on the Good News Kingdom. Uh, if you missed last week's sermon, uh, Pastor Scott did a great job preaching on Jesus and his yoke that he calls us to pick up, I would encourage you to go back in our Church Center app. Listen to that if you're able to. Andrew, just yell at me if I need to do something different. I also just want to say real quick, um, we have some pretty amazing servants here at Redemption. Um, One of them is Joe. Joe, uh, yesterday, organized an amazing work day. For those of you who maybe came in on this side of the building, walk to that side of the building today and you will see some amazing pruned trees. You will see an amazing, perfectly organized pile of massive wood that Joe and a team of, I think it was like eight people, some guys, some ladies, showed up and worked from like eight to three yesterday on our church property. It was just incredible. It looks pristine. I can't wait to see all the spring growth come. So, thank you, Joe, for organizing that. Thank you for all of you folks who showed up. Yeah, absolutely. We can clap. Thank you for those folks who showed up. Really, really grateful for that work. Huge blessing for all of us, but specifically For me and my family, since we don't have massive limbs falling in our yard anymore now. So as I said, Matthew 12. uh, Today, we're going to see, in one sense, what would seem like a boring scene. Jesus and his disciples on the Sabbath day, walking through some fields. Doesn't seem that exciting at first glance. And they get confronted by, you know who, the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, but in this, in one sense, everyday scene that would almost seem to be just a side story in the gospel, Jesus is going to touch on something very core in his kingdom. Jesus is going to shock and disturb and anger the Pharisees. And I think may be the same for us. So let's listen as we hear. Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8 read. This is God's word, Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. They began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God? and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priests? Have you also not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath but are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Jesus, we do pray that this morning as we encounter you, the Lord of the Sabbath, that you, Jesus, would open our hearts to see, to hear, and to understand. Jesus, I want to publicly thank you for how you have met me this week in prep, that you have proven that you are faithful, as we open your word, again, I pray for all of us here today, Jesus, every man, woman, child here, that we would see and encounter the God of the scriptures today. And in the person of Jesus, we would hear good news. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, quick show of hands. Does anyone here enjoy movie trailers? Movie trailers? Yeah, yeah, Okay. Couple brave souls, thank you. Yes, I, I'm with you. I enjoy movie trailers. I, I had one very weird friend who claimed to hate movie trailers once. He said, Oh, it's gonna ruin my excitement for the movie. It's like, dude, that's the point of the trailer. It gets you excited for the movie. So let me ask again like, does anyone here really like movie trailers? And by really, yes, by really like movie trailers, yes, I see some other hands. Like, you get on Netflix to watch a movie, and an hour later, you're still watching trailers. Anyone relate to that here? My wife is not here. She's with our sick baby today. But that's her current life situation with me. And so you can pray for Jana. We will get on Hulu, Apple Plus, anything, our streaming things, and just an hour later, she's like, are we still watching trailers, really? So... Maybe some of you are like that. So but trailers, though... They're exciting. They're a quick little thrill. They're a two-minute snapshot of what this two-hour movie or show is going to be about. But why do I bring up trailers? Because that's part of what our passage today is talking about. Today, Jesus is telling these Pharisees and his disciples and maybe some of us that we are too excited about the trailer when the real movie's actually here. But what is this trailer that Jesus is talking about? Let's dig into this. Let's look at the trailer of what was to come, understanding the Old Testament. So in your Bible, 70 to 80% of your Bible is the trailer. 70 to 80% of your Bible is anticipating, explaining, predicting what was going to happen through Jesus and at the very core of this trailer are two dominating themes, temple and Sabbath. It's almost like watching the trailer. And whoa, these two seem to be like maybe the main characters of what's going to come in the movie. And the Pharisees were really, really ticked at Jesus because he seemed to be saying, "Now nah, those aren't the real thing. Now, nah, don't, don't even Temple, Sabbath Now nah, we're not going to worry about those That's what they accused Jesus of doing But we have to remember, church Why were the Pharisees so fired up about these things? Because in the Jewish framework at the time In their mindset In their understanding of the Old Testament They knew this singular reality That God had made this world To be his dwelling His presence is with his people And that the goal of creation was moving towards this idea. The six days of creation was all landing at this idea of God is present. And that's what all the temples stood for. The the tent that they made in the wilderness, the big temple of Solomon, those were all pointing at the fact that God's presence is here in these temples. But what was the way the Jewish people would recognize God's presence in his reign? Through Sabbath. Sabbath. We think Sabbath is just the day off. No. In in the creation story, when God is building his world, when everything is set, when chaos is put aside and God has perfectly made his world, what does he do on the seventh day? He rules. The world is now established. So Sabbath... This rest, which doesn't mean kicking your feet up and chilling with NFL on Sunday. It means now the rule and order and stability is in place. So Sabbath begins. Everything is now in its right place. So Sabbath happens. If you think about it, when we are called to Sabbath, that is a call to say, put the work down because we see who's worked. So, for the Jewish people, Sabbath framed their life. You Sabbath, you work. You Sabbath, you work. So, that framed literally how they viewed time. And then, that was how they viewed time at the very center of their physical reality, where their tents, their buildings, their communal life was together. What's in the very center of that? The presence of God in a temple, in a tent. So the Pharisees are now saying to Jesus, Sabbath and temple, you're trying to throw these things out? Oh, dude, you are missing it big time. Because ta- temple was presence, Sabbath was God's rule, his order. So they felt that Jesus was throwing these things out. And if you look at the text, it's like, wait a minute, how'd they get that? How did they get at that? And not just how did they get at that, but like, how is it that the Pharisees just keep missing it? Again and again, Jesus will do these things that don't seem to be that big of a deal. But to them, they're like losing their minds. Well, in one sense, they missed it because they were more excited about the trailer. And they'd missed that the real thing had shown up in Jesus. But they also missed it for a much more fundamental reason that I think some of us maybe could be in danger of missing as well. So I want us to look at what the Pharisees missed, but I want us to ask that question in a different way. What did the Pharisees think was the real problem? Like, yes, Jesus throwing out Temple and Sabbath, but what was the real problem according to the Pharisees? Look at verse 1. When the Pharisees saw Jesus and his disciples in verse 1, They just saw a bunch of rule breakers. They saw Jesus and his disciples, quote, working, air quotes, working on the Sabbath. So what they were doing, though, is Jesus and his disciples were walking most likely through the edge of a field where people were allowed to go, and actually just, even if you were a stranger, you were allowed to go gather some of the grain there. And they were just walking along and grabbing handfuls of this grain and chucking some of it and then just eating it as they were traveling. But part of the Sabbath law is that all your food for the day had to be ready because you couldn't work and prepare food on the Sabbath because it was days day of rest, reminding yourself that God has worked, God has provided, so you don't want to have to work on Sabbath. So now by them grabbing this grain... And like chucking it and then eating it, they were working on the Sabbath. I mean, it's a little over the top, you might think. So they approach Jesus. And he says to them, not only are my disciples actually innocent, but you're not even seeing the real thing you should be offended about here. He then takes them. Look at verse 3 now. He talks about King David. This time when King David and his men in the Old Testament, they were on this special mission for God. David was the king. He had been anointed, but he wasn't enthroned yet as the king. They were on this mission and they were in need of food. So they actually went into the temple to this area where the priests were supposed to go. And there was this special bread. And they ate this bread that only the priests were supposed to eat as part of their ceremony in the temple. But Jesus is saying David and his men's mission and their purpose and what they were doing was actually more important than what this bread was just supposed to be there for. So Jesus gives this one example. David and his men ate bread they weren't supposed to, but did the law condemn them? But then he says, hold on to that. Let's talk about another time. The priests, look at the next verse. The priests in the temple break the Sabbath all the time. Because think about it. The the temple where the priests work, that's the place where people have to come, give sacrifices, and someone's got to work on the Sabbath. Someone's got to keep the temple going. Who's going to do that? The priests. The priests have to work. And the word says, profane, break the Sabbath. The priests had to do that. But are the priests condemned? They're not. So Jesus gives what would appear these two examples of David and his men and then these priests on the Sabbath. And he asks, does the scripture ever condemn these two groups of people? No, because the point of the law was not about limiting people. It was about showing God. The point of the temple and the bread was pointing to Jesus and his dwelling with us. The bread that Jesus himself was going to provide. But the Pharisees missed it. And Jesus says, we're going to look at this in a second. They missed it because they were more concerned about sacrifice and the rules than actually about being merciful to people, which is what the point of the laws was. They were, again, in this example, of Jesus and his disciples, like a lot of scholars spend a lot of words talking about, like maybe Jesus and his men were like actually starving. Maybe they hadn't eaten in days, like... Yeah, maybe. But the point was the Pharisees were more concerned about rules being followed than about hungry people actually getting food. And that's what they addressed with Jesus. And he says, you guys aren't even, the problem you think is going on is not even the real problem. So then, what does Jesus say is the real problem? He said, the problem is." They miss that mercy is greater than sacrifice. Jesus says to them in verse 7, if you only know what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. He's talking about his disciples there who he says are guiltless. Jesus is saying to them, you are so good at following the so-called rules that you have forgotten that the whole point of the laws was actually about pointing people to God by loving them. You have forgotten that the whole point of the laws was so that God's mercy could be seen. Church, I think this is where Jesus and his rebuke of the Pharisees is maybe starting to press on us a little bit. Jesus quotes, I would encourage you to maybe circle this or make a little note in your Bible. Writing in your Bibles is okay, by the way. Jesus quotes Hosea 6:6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is actually the second time in Matthew that we see Jesus quoting this verse. If you flip back over to chapter 9, verse 31, Jesus quotes that there as well. So Matthew seems to be making it really clear that this guy, Jesus, really thinks mercy and love is at the center of his mission. The Pharisees missed. That the law, the temple, the Sabbath was all about God's mercy. And how did they miss it? It's because they were living in the trailer. They were so obsessed with watching and analyzing that they were missing the very movie that was taking place right in front of them, that God in flesh, the real temple, the real Sabbath was showing up and offering them life in him. They missed it. But here's where, again, I think Matthew and Jesus in this passage is actually starting to address us. Why would they do that, though? Why would they keep just, go, were they just like traditionalists? They just, oh, well, no, Jesus doesn't line up. So we're just going to stick to our traditions. Like, is that what's going on? Why would they just keep missing it? Well, the Pharisees do that for the same reasons that we all do that. In case you missed it, when we read the scripture, if you're like me, you're kind of like, who am I in the story? Am I a little closer to Jesus? Am I maybe more like, oh, I'm just like an ignorant disciple. I'm, I'm definitely not one of the Pharisees. Like, who am I in this story? Friends, we're the Pharisees. Some of us may be more than the others. Friends, we miss it like the Pharisees because we wake up every day convinced that we have to work for God's approval. It's our default, that God wants my sacrifice. God is demanding of me. If I don't work for him and obey every rule, then God's going to crush me, and he definitely will not love me. We wake up every day and feel that the scandal of grace, it must be an illusion. That can't be real. There's no way God could love people that much. There's no way God could love people like me that much. So, what do we do instead? We work ourselves to death. We give, we serve, we run around trying to prove to ourselves, to others, and to God that we're worth his love. Friends, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were proving why they, by their devotion that God must love us. Instead of actually saying, no, no, God has loved you. So now you in response can love him. This is the default mode of the human heart. And what's interesting is that Jesus here is addressing law keepers. Those who pride themselves on how good they are. What's interesting though is the way he addresses the lawkeepers is the same way you could address the lawbreakers. Any lawbreakers out there? You just wanna buck the system. You just screw authority. Screw the rules. I'm thinking of my dear friend uh JJ in the show Outer Banks right now. Just struggle with authority like no way you can't put me in a box I'm gonna do what I want to do maybe some of you are like that and maybe some of you are more like the Pharisees like the religious law followers and you live probably if you're like me you live in so much anxiety because you're worried about if you've done all the right things well what's interesting is for the law breakers their lack of obedience towards God I will reject God I will reject authority I will do whatever I want I will be free of rules I hate to break it to you, but you are in just as much bondage as the law keeper. Because your idol, your quest for individuality, breaking free of the rules, you are bound to a taskmaster who's never gonna let you go. That dogged, ruthless rebellion is gonna continue to enslave. And the difference between the law Breakers and the law keepers is really not that different. You're both choosing for yourselves what is in your best interest and that I am going to call the shots because the law keepers, we're all just saying, hey, God, do you see what I'm doing? I've done this and this and this and this. So now I get to call the shots, God, because I've loved you, followed you, always in my quiet time, never slept around, never did drugs, never did X, Y, and Z. Like you see how good I am? Yeah, so God, just keep me healthy and safe. Got it. Oh, wait, suffering? God, how could you do this to me? Do you see how that works? Like, you as a rule keeper are just demanding of God in the same way that a rule breaker would. But here, again, that was a little little tangent. Jesus is specifically exposing the law keepers. He's exposing those who pride themselves on the rules that's why he quotes this passage in Hosea 6.6, that you love all of the ways that you sacrifice for God rather than actually just being merciful. Again, just to press into that, what does that mean to love sacrifice more than mercy? Well, a lot of that is when you really love recognition. A lot of that is the people who Focus on the external rituals. A lot of that is seen in when church attendance is such a big deal that you immediately assume the worst about people whose church attendance maybe isn't as good as yours. I recently was smacked in the face with this. Metaphorically. In my own life. In my quest for justice and sacrifice, was very much exposed. Um, <clears throat> the latest drama in the Bowers household, well, there's always drama, is surrounding this teenage boy who keeps walking through our yard. A couple weeks ago, I noticed, I mean, there's, there's always groups of kids walking through. There's kids who hang out back on the property. I've talked to them and tried to be kind to them. and They leave crap back there all the time, but trying to love them. So this boy, teenage boy, probably around 14, 15, walks through the parking lot, comes around the side of the building, and then just cuts right through our backyard, because I live in the house right over there for those who don't know, and then cuts through my neighbor's yard, and then just continues on his merry little way. He walks right past our windows, walks right past our fire pit. One time he literally just walked right past Janet when she was gardening in our yard right past our baby's window. The crazy thing is he's probably saving about 15 seconds of his life instead of just walking to the corner and turning by our mailbox. So I've watched this kid do this. I walked outside and was like, hey man, can I help you? Uh, This is part of my yard. I don't know if you knew that. He's like, okay, I won't do it anymore. I'm like, okay, kind of the punk. Just mumbled under his breath and kept walking. And so whatever, no big deal. a no, pastor, I'm kind of godly and patient, so I won't. I'll let it go. Until two weeks ago, I'm in my kitchen and I see Mr. Schmuck Teenager walking through the parking lot. And I'm like, no way, no way, no way. Right through our yard, right past the tree, right past the picnic table, right past the fire pit. And then he sees me looking through the window, and I'm just like, no way. I just let him go. I could not believe it. Look look how shocked I am. And so, now it's time for Smackdown. Now I'm thinking, conspiring of all the things I'm going to say to this kid next time he tries this. Maybe you already see where the story's going. I'm thinking through, I mean, I'm, friends, this is so sad. I'm literally thinking of things to say to this kid. Hey, dude, um, are you stupid? Are, do, do you need a hearing aid? I literally asked you like two weeks ago, like, could you not walk through my yard? Hey, man, you must really be in a rush somewhere. Can I give you a ride? Because those 10 seconds are saving you a lot of time. I'm literally thinking, like, oh, I'm going to say this to him. Oh, man. Lord, let him come through today. I have not prayed that. You know, and then in my self-righteousness, I'm like, well, he's walking through my neighbor's yard too. I'm just standing up for my neighbor. So anyway, these last couple weeks, I've been conspiring, working on my words and my phrasing of just how to like get this kid. Until last week, I hadn't even looked at the sermon passage yet. I had this thought pop in my head as I was looking out the window waiting for him this thought came into my head what if this is actually an opportunity to love this kid rather than bring judgment on him I don't know if any of you remember but a couple weeks ago I shared stories of grace about God giving me opportunities to love my neighbors what if God is actually plopping one of my neighbors right into my backyard what if this is actually an opportunity for mercy and not demanding sacrifice. I just was like, crap. 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 And then, I mean, I, mean I, I wasn't saying crap. I was like, holy cow. That's the gospel. That is the scandal of grace. That is mercy. And then I started reading my scripture passage and was like, oh yeah, he's plucking grain from my field. And I'm getting ticked about it. I'm just like the Pharisees. So anyway, there's no resolution. He hasn't come by. I'm actually telling you this to like, please pray for me about how to deal with him. He's walked by like once or twice since, but he kind of just walks along the sidewalk and doesn't come by. But church, I'm wondering if this is something the Spirit's doing of A, to teach me mercy, but also to give me an opportunity to love this kid. Because yes, in one sense, Maybe he is just this punk teenager. Maybe he is just trying to disrespect me and just trample on people's yards. I don't care about what this idiot guy says holding his baby outside. But I think, friends, that the spirit of Jesus is telling me, Nate, something greater than your personal private property rights is going on here. Since you, Nate, are now part of God's mission, Does that not overrule your need for vindication and for the right thing being done? Because yes, absolutely. Some of you might come up to me and be like, Nate, but like, he can't do that. Like, you need to correct him. Teenagers these days are crazy. Like, you could call the police on him. I totally could. And even legally, I would have every right to do that. But what about something that butts against the rules? Something that goes against the way it's supposed to be. What is something more scandalous than a teenager cutting through my yard? It's mercy. What if this is a chance for grace to reign over Nate's protection of his rights? So, church, who are the proverbial grain pickers in your life who Jesus is calling you? to have mercy towards? What systems are in your life that only allow for rigidity, but actually leave no room and margin to love people? In what ways are your own standards of how things are supposed to be so high that you refuse to be around people who don't have the same standards as you? Is it possible you're refusing mercy? Husbands, specifically, How are you leading your wives or maybe your children into mercy? Is your children, your wife, maybe more aware of your justice and your rules in your house? More than how this will be a domain of mercy. Here's another question for you, husbands. Are you willing to ask your family that? And have them honestly share? Wives, do things have to go according to your way in the home? Or else the wrath of God falls? Again, these questions are not just limited to wives and husbands and households. Friends, do you only stand and tolerate people who do what you deem as acceptable in life? Or is is your own view and standards the goal that determines who you'll actually interact with and who you'll even love or show mercy towards? What about people? Maybe in our church, maybe outside of our church, maybe in your work, maybe your neighborhood. What about things that we disagree on? Sexuality, politics, racism. What about people who view those things differently than you? Are those people worthy of mercy? What about people in redemption who aren't as committed as you are? People who maybe don't serve as much as you do. Maybe people who, you know, they skip a lot of church. They like, they're never here. What about people who maybe you think aren't as committed to holiness as you? Do any of you find yourself thinking, it's just not fair. I do all the hard work. We give so much. We serve all the time. Do you think maybe Spirit's highlighting something there? Have you ever been so convinced that your way is right that you realize it's starting to make you look stupid? I think not only are you focusing more on sacrifice, but you're actually probably distancing and creating a void of mercy. with the people that you're being so intense with. Jesus says in verse six, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. In church, I think that Jesus, as the Lord of the Sabbath, wants people who are more concerned with loving and showing mercy than just about people who externally do all the right things. It's because something greater than the temple is here. And I would really encourage you, even as we prepare to close, to chew on that phrase. What does that mean in my life? That something greater than the temple is here. Because what happens is, even as we stand in judgment over punk kids in our yard, or people who don't sacrifice as much as me do, church, we have already have one who's shown us mercy. We have one who's already done the true work and accomplished the real Sabbath. And he did it by actually himself having mercy withheld. There was no mercy for Jesus. Friends, in this passage, Jesus alludes, it's so interesting. He alludes to King David, the king who had been anointed over Israel, but was David on his throne yet? No, he wasn't. David and his men were running, hiding, trying to evade Saul. They were on this other mission for God. So he was the anointed but not yet enthroned king. The priests working in the temple were working year after year, Sabbath after Sabbath. <sighs> Kings and priests. Kings working to the, towards their throne, priests working to deliver the work completed on behalf of the people. Do you see how Jesus is both of those things? Jesus is the true King David who's leading his people, who's not yet on his throne, but very soon in Matthew, Jesus will be on his throne. And do you know where his throne is? It's on the cross where there was no mercy for him so that we could live in mercy. And you know what he was doing on that cross he was being the priest giving us the true Sabbath giving us the true sense of the work is done the work is done and that's why later on it's gonna be you should look this up in the book of Hebrews the author says we too have that rest now because the true priest has done that work so friends When we see the mercy of Jesus towards us Even in our judgment Even in my judgment of that kid In your judgment of the proverbial grain pickers in your life Where do you think Jesus is saying to you What would mercy look like here Because something greater than the temple is here One commentator picked up on the fact that It's not something greater than the temple will be here. When Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago, it was a present reality. That means it's present today, too. Something greater than the temple is here today. It is happening today. Something greater than the temple is happening as punk kids get shown mercy even when they don't deserve it. It's happening when Pharisees like us repent and turn towards being merciful. It's happening when we live our life together with people who are painfully hard to be around. It's happening as we ask the Spirit to open us up to be a merciful people and to lay aside our rules and our preferences so that other people can be loved. So we're gonna go close it's a couple songs now. So I would just encourage you as we sing to listen to maybe where the Spirit's asking you, what would mercy look like more than just demanding sacrifice? And where do you need to rest? Where do you need to realize that the true Sabbath rest is here? Let's pray. Jesus, as the one who is greater than Sabbath, as the one who is the true temple, as the one who has given us the true stability and order that we long for, I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to receive. Jesus, so many of us, and I put myself at the front of this line, were terrible at receiving. <laughs> We have to contribute. We have to give something. We have to be the people who say, yes, what can I do, though? What can I bring? What can I bring to the party? Jesus, I pray you'd show us that not only are we incapable of bringing anything, but you've provided all of it. I pray, Jesus, that this would produce in us a holy zeal, to be a merciful people. Jesus, that as we stand in your finished work for us, that would lead us to be a people who long to show mercy, who delight to show mercy because we know how much mercy we've been given. So Jesus, would you convict us? Would you show us where we can repent? Would you show dads and husbands and wives and moms and friends and neighbors and men and women where we can actually turn from demanding sacrifice and law and actually delight in mercy. Would would, Jesus, would you make Redemption Church a stronghold for where people experience mercy? And would the outside world, Jesus, even continually see and experience that through our people? pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.